CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer, and we're glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you for about the next hour as we set this time aside every weekday afternoon to answer questions about the Bible, from the Bible, look at current events through a biblical perspective, and what we hear in church isn't even in the Bible at all. And if you've been reading your Bible, come across something you don't understand, please call us. That's why we're here for you. Or someone's ask you a difficult question, we want to make sure you give them a good, solid, biblical answer, what the Bible really says on that topic. Not just a few verses that support an idea, but what does the Bible really say on that topic? Because again, this is where bunny trails come in, and this is where the cults come in. You know, they'll sell you a, a thousand truths to slip you the one lie that'll hurt you. And this is what deception does. This is why Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not just the verses we like. And so if you got a question you'd like to ask us, we'll do our very best to help you. 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call, and you can be part of the program today. We've got some lines open, so you're assured to get on if you call right now. Again, 88 88- 88 ask CSN. Joining me today, special guest featured CSN speaker comes on after to every man and answer, Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Hi and welcome, Jeff. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you today. Looking forward, as always, to a great show, answering some good questions. I'm noticing some uh, good ones already coming up on the screen, so I'm looking forward to it. I believe it's going to be a real time with the Lord, with His Word and clearing out some cobwebs in people's minds about Scripture. You know, I've been saved most of my life, Mike, and I read the Bible every day. I, it's just my commitment to go through the Bible once a year, the cover to cover. And without fail, every single day, I learn something new. And I've been reading it my whole life. I think we could live to be 10,000, and we would never exhaust the depth of God's Word. It's an amazing Amazing book of 66 books, all wrapped up in one. And so people have questions, and we're looking forward to answering them. Yeah, you know, the Bible reveals to us who we are, and God knows more about us than we know about us. It also tells us who He is and how important it is to have that good, godly perception of life. And so if you've got a question again, you give us a call, 8888-ASK-CSN. And with that, Jeff, we'll go to Angela. In Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Hi, thank you. My question comes out of Romans sixteen seven. I'm just going to read it. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now, I was listening to um, teaching online. I, I, I dialed into a, a woman's conference, and one of the teachers of this woman's conference was teaching that Junia was a woman, but I don't see that in Scripture. She also stated that Junia was an apostle, and I don't see this in Scripture either. Can you please share? Yeah, no, absolutely not an apostle. That is an error. Uh, They don't know for sure. They perceive that he was actually a male. Um, And uh, so your thoughts, Jeff? 
Yeah, I believe they were both males. And, you know, you can conclude one of two things when you read this verse is either uh, Paul considered them to be an apostle or they were very familiar with the apostles. And I think it's the latter. Uh, anytime you talk about apostles after the 12, and that's uh, also including Paul, uh, but when we when you go past those 12 that Jesus picked, of course, Judas rebelled against Christ, betrayed him, uh, damned his own soul to hell, and perished, and he was replaced by another. And then Paul was added later as one who also saw Christ. After those apostles, then any other person called an apostle is a little a. You know, the first 12 were capital A apostles. They were chosen by Jesus after a night of prayer. He came and chose them to, among other things, uh, several of them to write scripture, to be the architects of the local church, to be the initial representatives of Christ. And uh, so there, there was nobody like the 12 after the 12, uh, except, as I said, Paul, who was added later. So anybody after that who's called an apostle, all they mean is a sent one. It's just somebody who was sent. It was a Greek word, apostolos. It's just a Greek word uh, that, that meant to be sent. And so uh, we have a capital A apostles, the 12. You have little a apostles, those who we see like in the book of Acts who are called apostles, but they do not carry the same weight, the same level of authority uh, as the original 12. They're simply sent ones. And I think that uh, Andronicus and Junia uh, could have been little a sent, or they were simply familiar with the uh, the uh, real apostles. So one of those two, but either way, they were not capital A guys. Yeah, and so I, I hope that answers it for you. And again, it does appear that probably she could have been a woman, but certainly not an apostle. Fellow kinsman, re- referring to uh, being Jewish as he is, uh, I believe is is where that that comes in, and again, um, uh, but to say for sure that Junia was a female, we don't know that for sure, and there's a lot of uh, um, um, argument on both sides for that. But for sure, uh, we do not find uh, whoever Junia is being an apostle. So, can I say oh, something real quick here? Yeah, go ahead uh, to Angela. Angela. You were you were uh, watching or listening to a women's conference. Are you there, Angela? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Hello. You were, listen- you, you were watching or listening to a women's conference. Yes, I was watching it online, and one of the speakers was sharing this, and and I thought that doesn't make and sense she, to me because how can yeah. it be a fellow kinsman or a prisoner? I mean, how can a man and a woman be in prisoner at the same time? Yeah. But they, they also been... claim that they also claim that Junia not only was a woman but also an apostle. Yes. Yeah, that's what they. Yeah. That's well, what that's, they said. Yeah, that's there's a there's a couple of women floating around the body of Christ right now who are claiming to be apostles, and man, they are shipwrecks. And so I was just curious because I, I could probably ask who they were referring to, but I don't want to go there. I'm just wondering if maybe one of the ones I'm thinking of who is going all over the country saying that she's an apostle and uh, casting out devils out of Christians, uh, or at least she claims to, and all of this, but really she's one of the worst 
um, I don't know, false teachers and false apostles I've ever been aware of. And she almost has a cult following now. So big warning when you hear a woman and also calling themselves to be an apostle, you, you know that you can turn away and run when you hear that. And so I hope that helps. And again, there's a lot of people out there on the Internet. Oh, she was a possible. Don't believe what you're, you know, unicorns are real on the Internet. So you want to be mm-hmm. real careful. We don't find any other scripture references. And again, fellow prisoner, uh, which would really seem to indicate that this is why they lean towards him being uh, a male. It's all in the punctuation in the name in the original Greek. Uh, and so understanding this, um, Fellow kinsman, I believe, is simply speaking of of again him being of him being a, of Jewish descent as he is. Hope that helps. May I ask another question? Sure. Okay, so this one comes out of Acts two forty six, and it says, "And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart." So I was in a Bible study, and the teacher. Uh, in the Bible study said, they did uh, meet daily in the temple. However, they did not break bread daily from house to house. And I don't see where that is in Acts 2.46. So can you speak to that, please? Yeah, Jeff, your thoughts. Well, it says, they, it says clearly they were with one accord in the temple daily and breaking bread from house to house uh, did eat their meat. So the implication there is that they did break bread from house to house. And, uh, you know, I, I think some even think that that's talking about communion. Don't know for sure. But it's it's clearly says that they did this both in the temple and from house to house. My guess would be that the breaking of the bread happened in the houses daily rather than in the temple. It would have been easier, less complicated. And uh, I it just seems that's more likely what happened. Uh, but again, I don't know where they, they got that because the verse is, to me, very, very clear. Hope that helps, Angela. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Stay on the line if you like. Send you out the books and DVDs we send everyone. Great for evangelism. And so if you need more, let me know. Stay on the line. We'll get you fixed up. Let's go to Gary, Delphine, Alabama. Hi and welcome. Hey, Pastor Mike and Pastor Jeff. Always a pleasure to speak to you. Hey. How uh, may we have? Uh, I wanted to find out, I was reading uh, in Acts chapter 6 today, and it talks about when the number of uh, disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews had complaints against them by the Hebraic Jews because of their widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. I just wanted a clarification between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Okay, you tell us about these Greek Jews. Yeah, well, it's just it's letting us know that there were the, the Greek uh, believers— uh, who were Gentile, they were Hellenized, they were, or Jews that had been Hellenized, and then there were the Hebrew Jews, and there was a, there was a dispute over how the widows were being taken care of, and, uh, so they had, that's what birthed deacons. Deacons came out of this, including, uh, Philip and Stephen, who really left a mark for Christ, so it was basically a dispute going on there about, um, the the widows being taken care of in the daily dispensation, so they had apparently a like a feeding program, and the the uh, so they had to handle that. And the apostles said, "Better for us that we pray 
and we spend our time in the Word than that we handle these things. So they birthed the deacon ministry. So I hope that helps. It, it does, and it, it kind of sheds a whole new light on I certainly appreciate it so much. Yeah, and, and so um, I, I think, again, and, and you know, when you think about it, um, here you have the apostles wanting to remain in the Word daily. And when you look today at so many Christians, here the apostles are the ones that walked with Jesus, saw all the things that Jesus did, saw how Jesus ministered to people, all these different things. And then they felt they needed more of God, and they studied the Scriptures. And yet today we find so many Christians, oh, yeah, I just go on Sunday, and that's good enough for me. And, you know, I don't—and here are the guys that walked with the Lord, saw the miracles, heard Jesus' teaching, remain daily in the Word so they would be sharp— God. I think that's really an important observation there. Gary, hope that helps. Stay online. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. I think you'll enjoy, okay? Thank you so much. God bless you both for what you do. God bless you too, Gary. Thanks so much for the call. If you need us, we're here for you. Let's go to Gabriella. Longview, Washington. Hi. Hi. Um, How may we help? So my, my question is um, regarding Job. Uh, my husband and I are doing a, um, we just started a Bible in, a, in the year reading, and we're in the book of Job. And I am just, um, I don't understand why God put Job through all of that anguish and suffering that he did um, just to prove to the devil that he was an, an a just man and a, and a righteous man and that he wouldn't curse him because doesn't God already know that he was not going to curse him? So I don't understand why I put him through that just to prove it to the devil. Like, who cares? Well, I, I really believe that we all go through things very similar to what Job went through even today. And I think that the, the book of Job isn't just to prove something to the devil. Because again, the devil's in complete rebellion to God. But when you realize that we all go through things like this, but the idea, the purpose of it is not to destroy us, but to test and to prove to us where we're at. They say before they put a pacemaker in a person's heart, they run it through rigorous testing. Now, the testing is not designed to destroy the pacemaker. It's meant to bring it through as many tests and probable circumstances for failure that they can possibly do to that little pacemaker. Not to wreck it or destroy it, but to prove that once it's put into a human, it'll keep going. Because if it fails, the person will die. And I believe it's the same thing with us. The Bible tells us that we will be tested by God. And, and not because God doesn't know the outcome. It's because we don't know what the outcome is. And I believe that, again, this is why we want to be very careful. We want to have a predetermined um, posture. When sin presents itself, what am I going to do about it? Um, again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, when they were in Babylon, they had predetermined that they were not going to eat the king's food. 
Now, friends, that's important because, again, a lot of times we try to reckon what we're going to do when sin presents itself. And hey, if it's a good enough temptation, well, you know, I might just jump ship. Well, this is dangerous. We have to have a predetermination of what we're going to do when we're, we're, we're tested. And I believe this is it. And real quickly, because you're studying Job, we have to remember that Job's children were not right with God. In fact, when the roof caved in on him, they were having a party. And the Bible says that Job offered sacrifices for his children. Well, if his kids were right with God, they would have been offering sacrifices for themselves. And I tell everybody everywhere, when you're not a believer in Christ, when you're not a Christian, the devil has free reign of you. You're not God's property. But when you become a Christian, we become a joint heir with him. We, we, the Bible says he's our father. We, we now have ownership by God and God is the one who protects us. Now, sometimes as we study in church history and even in the Bible, whether it be Stephen or in Fox's book of martyrs, we find many, many people who love God dearly died for their faith. Well, didn't God love them? I mean, isn't this the same kind of scenario we find with Job? Not at all. I believe that again, we belong to God. And when our testimony is done here, we're out of here. Job didn't understand what was happening to him. Just as many of you right now listening don't understand why you have to go through the things you've gone through, the death of a loved one, the death of a child, maybe financial issues, maybe abandonment, all these different things. Well, God, if you love me, where are you? I believe the book of Job was written to give us comfort that, in fact, yes, we do have an accuser. The Bible says that accuses the brethren day and night. And that's exactly what Satan was doing concerning Job to God, accusing. Now, again, we understand that. And I do believe that it still happens today. And Paul is actually says sometimes, he says, the very things that were designed for my harm turned out to be for the good. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, and Gabriel, I understand the perplexity because you read Job, when it starts out and Satan approaches God along with uh, the host of other angels, he's in their midst, and God starts it. God says, if you consider my servant Job. So God started it. If he hadn't said that to Job, or rather to Satan, um, I don't know if Job would have come up, but God started it. He instigated the whole thing. I don't believe for a minute that God did not know what Job would do. God did know. Uh, so we have to rise above that and say he was not in a uh, contest with the devil. He was not trying to prove anything to the devil. God doesn't have to prove anything to the devil. So let's leave that aside right off the bat. Well, then what was the whole thing about? God never allows anything into our life, but what for our good? Um, the Bible is clear on this over and over again. You know, count it all joy when you encounter many uh, trials and temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, so on and so forth. So there the apostle is telling us that with every trial we go through, God is the master weaver, uh, and he is weaving into the tapestry of our life something that he wants in our character. Very important. So again, he wasn't in a contest with Satan here. God was after something in Job. He wanted 
to work something into Job. So he allowed the devil to attack him. It shows us beyond the shadow of a doubt the devil's a dog on a leash. He can't do anything without God's permission, especially towards any of God's children. So what was God after? I think one of the key verses, well, for me, the key verse is at the very end of the book. And, you know, God has finally broken through and revealed himself to Job. He has taken him to task. He has, he has just spent, you know, a chapter or two uh, castigating him for uh, assuming different things about him and uh, partly for some pride that was there. And uh, he really lets him have it. But it was all in love. Then Job says this to God. And I think this is the key. He says in Job 42, verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Before all this mess, I'd heard about you by the hearing of the ear. I had been taught about you. But then it says, but now my eye sees you. Now let me read it out of the NLT real quick. Job said in verse 5, chapter 42, I had only heard about you before. Now that's very key because he had been taught about God, but there was something about God he did not know personally. But then the next part of the verse says, but now, after all this, I have seen you with my own eyes. So Job is saying there, my revelation of you, my understanding of you, my connection to you, my relationship with you, has been greatly, profoundly deepened by this experience. Now, I'm not just somebody taught about God, but now I have personally, myself, seen him, experienced him, had a revelation about him. So if you want to just distill the whole book, maybe the purpose of the whole book, and the whole experience he went through into that one verse, uh, I, think, I think that's doable. Because he, he, he describes the work that God did or the result of this horrible trial he went through. He reveals the result of it. Now we ask ourselves, well, was that worth it? Was it worth it to go through all that he lost and all the pain and all the friction with his so-called friends? I mean, was it all worth it? Will you ask yourself that for me? And I'm not asking you, Lord, for any of this myself. Let me just be clear. But for me, if I come out of something with a deeper, better, richer understanding and relationship with God than I had before, then it's worth it. So I would encourage you to look at that verse as sort of the sum total of Job's take on everything that he had gone through, and I think it'll help you. Yeah, and from God's perspective, again, God didn't go, boy, I sure hope he figures this out. God knows everything. He lives in all times present. Genesis 1, or uh, Revelation 1, Revelation 22, he's Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last, all at the same time. I don't know how anybody, anything is like that, but he is. Um, and I look at this a little bit as well. I think God likes to brag on his children. You know, any parent, you get around any parents, well, my kid was first in their varsity, and they were a straight-A student, and they got, they're always bragging on their kids. Oh, my college, my kid's in college now getting straight A's, and he's going for his doctorate, and, you know, 
parents love to brag on their children. And I think, honestly, God likes to brag on us. Gabrielle, I hope that helps. Um, yeah, I guess it does a little bit, but can, can I ask one other, like a related sure. question to that? So, um, my husband and I are going through a really difficult time right now. Um, he was in an accident about a year and a half ago and became um, paralyzed. And uh, so I, uh, I, I'm having a difficult, I know, or I'm trying to wonder, I don't even know how to phrase this. My, my testimony, like I'm closer to the Lord now through this trial than I have been. Um, so I, I understand what you were saying about that part um, and how, you know, trials can bring you closer to the Lord and, and, and that kind of thing. And we both are, um, you know, thank goodness he, he had a traumatic brain injury, which is what paralyzed the the body, but his, his mind is all still there and his memories and, and all of that. So So we're, we're really thankful for that. But, excuse me, but my testimony, I'm trying to figure out, like when I try and and talk to my friends about it and, um, I've had one one girlfriend, um, I'm like, you know, I'm closer to the Lord. And she's like, well, why did he have to do something so terrible in order to get your attention? I mean, why would why would he do that? And I don't know how to, how can I, how can I have a testimony? I feel like my testimony would like turn someone away. Like, well, if that's what it takes to get closer to God, then I don't want to have anything to do with it kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, you know, you know, dear Greg Laurie, uh, who you hear uh, on CSN, uh, 12 o'clock Mountain Time, he's on several times a day on the CSN radio network, as well as The Effect. His son was uh, down in Southern California on his way to to uh, uh, Riverside there, his church, and a Caltrans um, uh, thing was parked in the fast lane without any cones or any warning. And um, Greg Laurie's son went to be with the Lord. He died. And it was so devastating for Greg. I mean, I mean, uh, um, it, to this day, you can hear when he talks about it, his voice mm-hmm. starts breaking up because mm-hmm. it so deeply hurt him. He left behind um, his wife and children uh, and, and stuff. But, you know, this is not our home. And again, if it's we get too comfy here, I don't think we're going to be wanting to go to heaven so much. And I'll tell you, every day, as uh, John said in Revelation 22, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Coming up on a break, everyone, we'll be back for more right after this. After taking the morning after pill, this mom immediately felt sick and nauseous as she tried to end her pregnancy. While searching for medical care, she found a pre-born network clinic where she hoped to rule out that she was pregnant. I had an ultrasound done right then and there. After hearing the baby's heartbeat, I instantly thanked God and said, May your will be done, Lord. I'm seven months pregnant now. I thank God every day for my little miracle. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing moms to the life growing inside of them and 
sharing the gospel in action. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, she will choose life 80% of the time. And Preborn doesn't stop there. They offer mothers maternity clothes, doctor visits, and the help they need to choose life. To learn how you can help rescue a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. All gifts are tax deductible. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Welcome you back to part two of Jeremy Men Answer here on this Wednesday afternoon with Jeff Wickwire. I'm your host, Mike Kessel. We went to the break. We were speaking with Gabriella, who, Gabriella, our hearts go out to you. Anytime there's an illness, paralysis, death in a family, it, it really changes the whole structure of the home. And we understand your grief, and our hearts go out to you. And we certainly want to pray for God's healing touch in your husband's life. But when we realize, again, God's got a bigger plan for our lives than we do, we have to trust him. And this is where faith comes in. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah. um, Gabriella, seven years ago, I lost my late wife to cancer. We had been married 39 years, and um, she got a brain tumor. And it was inoperable, and there was nothing that could be done, uh, aside from a miracle, and that did not come. So I I struggled with it, as I can hear the struggle in your voice. I didn't understand it. She was 58. She had so much in front of her, you know, children uh, around her and a church that loved her. And so it was it was really hard. Now... There came a time where I just said, Lord, I don't understand. And here is something that helped me. And I'll just, I'll just give it to you to remember. When you don't understand God's hand, trust God's heart. The Bible is clear that trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because your own understanding will come up short because it's so limited. And then one more verse that helped me. Paul admitted, he said, you know, we we uh, prophesy in part, we understand in part. He said, all that I know now, this is 1 Corinthians 13, 12, all that I know now is partial and incomplete. So even the great apostle Paul, who had 
revelation beyond anyone else on earth in those days or since, uh, said, my understanding is partial and incomplete. I don't understand everything. And I have a file in my mind that I call, or that I have labeled it this, things I don't understand. It's a <laughs> file cabinet in my mind, things I don't understand. And that file, I'll tell you the truth, has gotten thicker through the years because every once in a while something will come along that I simply don't understand. And I put it in that file. I don't let it affect my faith. I don't let it affect my walk. I put it in that file. And I know when I get to the other side, God will open that file and everything will be answered. But until then, I must trust him. What happened to your husband? I don't know. I don't understand it. And I I hurt for you. We hurt for you. But it's one of those things where you, you, you go ahead, you march on, you do the best you can do. You love him. You pray together. You grow together. You trust God's grace that is sufficient together. And on the other side, we'll understand. But meanwhile, we soldier on. And I, I feel like that's what you're doing. And I want to encourage you with those words because God's grace is there. And and again, our heart is with you. And may we pray for you, Gabriella? Please. Father, we just lift up Gabriella and her husband to you right now. Lord, oftentimes in our Christian experience, we have far more questions than we have answers. But we know that our answer is not for ourselves, but the answer for our life is in you. And just pray that you would give her strength, supernatural wisdom, and guidance. Lord, we lift up her husband to you and ask you, Lord, to heal him. Lord, nothing's hard for you. And so we just ask you that you would you would do a new work in this family, Father, and that God, through all of these things, you'd be glorified. Because your word says the rain falls on the just and the unjust just the same. But in this life filled with imperfections, it's how we react to this life. And so that is our testimony, that in the midst of trials and problems, whether it be as it is Job or something else, God, that we remain faithful to you. And I just pray that you would just help her with supernatural grace from your kingdom, God. Hold up her hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Gabriel, stay on the line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. If you need us, we're here for you, okay? Thank you, pastors. God bless you, dear. We'll be praying for you and your husband, especially that God touches him in a miraculous way in Jesus' name. Gabriel, stay on the line. We'll get you get you some books and DVDs. I hope, I hope uh, your husband can enjoy those as well. And... Um, Again, if you need us, call us. Let's go to Troy, Oregon. Hi, and welcome. Hello, pastors. Um, first, I want to say thank you for this uh, radio station of CSN. It's been a real blessing for many years. Um, I drive around all southern Oregon, a lot of mountains, and I can normally always find your station. I've even driven down into California and literally stored 10 different stations so I could listen to them all the way back home again. So it's a real blessing. You guys are the king of radio. That's awesome. Um, God is good. The question all the time, my friend, all the time. 
for the last several years, uh, I've been an associate pastor uh, at a little church uh, that I've been going to for about 20 years. Ten years of that, I've been sober. Um, the Lord found me, and, and uh, he picked me up and put me on a solid ground, and, and I've, it's been a real blessing, and now my heart's to bless others. And uh, my question is, the, the pastor that I learned under, um, he has gone to be with the Lord, and he had left the church to my, my pastor now, uh, my buddy Scott. And he's ordained through the Full Gospel Men's Fellowship, but I am not ordained, although I still do a pastorate there. I, I take praise and worship and or uh, prayer requests and praise reports and things of that nature. And then the last Sunday of the month, I bring a message, and, and we're both amazed how the Holy Spirit works because we'll both be on kind of the same message every weekend. So I know the Lord's there and the Spirit's there. But how much weight do you pastors put on being ordained? Should I look more into that? I mean, I work a full-time job, and then my weekends are at the church, and I'm just trying to, you know, is this something I should uh, really pursue more heavily? Well, being ordained uh, sometimes is helpful when you're trying to do jail ministry or, as an example, in some states require uh, some type of uh, efficient over um, uh, on the marriage license, things like that. As far as ministry goes, no, it's God the one that ordains. And so you don't have to worry about that. But I do believe that what a, a pastor does when they ordain somebody is they're simply saying amen to what God is already doing in their life. In other words, uh, a person's anointing to teach God's Word does not start when they're ordained. That's already there. All ministers do when they pray for somebody is recognize officially the calling of God in this individual's life. And I think sometimes it's very helpful in certain circumstances to have that ability. However, again, that does not and should not limit you, of course, ministering to your in your church or anything like that. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, the only reason I got ordained many, many, many moons ago was so that I could go into prisons, go into hospital visitation. Sometimes uh, they won't let you in, like to ER, unless you're ordained, uh, or perform marriage ceremonies, as Mike mentioned. I did it for that. But, you know, you look at Timothy, and Paul talked about Timothy receiving a gift uh, by the laying out of Paul's hands in the presence of uh, other men. And uh, that's sort of an ordination in the New Testament times. It's simply a recognition of God's calling that's already on your life. Uh, so there's a you know a twofold purpose for it. It doesn't do anything spiritually uh, because that's already been done by the Holy Spirit who gave you the gift. But it does open doors uh, when you're ordained. Uh, you can get into prisons, like we said, or jails, and that's why I did it. And so every once in a while, I've got to pull out that ordination card and show it to somebody so that I can get through a door. And that, to me, was the main value of being ordained, because otherwise, God had already called me and ordained me. So I hope that helps. It, it does, yeah. I, I, I do believe in First John, with the second chapter, around 26 verse, that the, no one's taught except by the Holy Spirit. So, and that's mm -hmm. where I've but all of my weight is on him and, and nothing on myself because I know where I came from. I'm just a broken individual that's been uh, set straight, you know, like a bone that was broken and now it's been mended. And uh, I'm, I'm just, my heart's for the Lord and 
and sharing his good news, the truth, with as many people as I can. Because once you know the truth, you can't go back to the lie. Or, well, then you're just lying to yourself. Yep, that's why a backslidden Christian's never happy. They're not happy in, they're not happy in Jesus, and they know the world's a lie, and so they're just in no man's land. Now, very quickly here, one other thing. Oftentimes, when a person is ordained through, as example, your existing pastor, if you do start, or someone does who's ordained, starts going awry, starts getting into weird teaching, oftentimes you can find the person that ordained that person and say, Brother Phil, can you talk to this person that you ordained? They're starting to teach some heresy here. And that is helpful. The other part of it, and you mentioned this, Jeff, is the laying on of hands. Because I do believe, again, that is recognition, but also a transfer of authority that happens. And oftentimes the gifts of the Spirit, and especially in being a minister, I believe are transferred there or given by the laying on of hands. And so the laying on, that's why the Bible says, lay hands on no man suddenly. That's not talking about getting into a fight. What that's talking about is be careful because a lot of times, uh, you know, ministers are overwhelmed. They need help. They'll, they'll ordain somebody. They'll lay hands on them, recognize them in front of the church that this is a person that you can go to with a problem without really knowing where they're doctrinally at. And in fact, I've had different people tell me, well, I, you know, I was going to go to that church and, and I was going to join that church and they had this membership class and how dare they have a membership class? Well, I don't think necessarily a membership class is that bad to at least know where this church is coming from and know where you're coming from. Because unfortunately, oftentimes churches will ordain somebody only to find out they have a whole different concept of God's word. I mean, borderline, full-on occult stuff. And and so this is where the problems come from. So I think the recognition of, of an established pastor who was recognized by somebody else, good thing, that in case down the road you need counseling or someone needs to talk to the person ordained you, there is a chain of command there. I believe this is simply a chain of authority, not the idea of the apostleship like the LDS Church. Well, we have the only true apostle. The true apostles were reinstated by Joseph, all this kind of crazy stuff. No, we have the Word of God. That is our apostleship. And the Bible tells us that is where we get our basis for faith. And so the idea of laying on of hands is simply that of recognition, whatever gifts, God, you want to impart to this person as they go out and minister the gospel, may you give it to them. We recognize them. We're sending them out. And I think that's a good thing. But as far as ministering on a daily basis, ministering in in church in the weekend, if the church recognizes you, Troy, well, hey, praise God. And that's a good thing. But you have to pray to find out. Talk to your pastor about it. I think that's going to be your best directive, okay? Yeah, I'm going to talk to him because I know last year he he was doing like three weddings in a weekend, and he was getting pretty well rattled. So he was, yeah. <clears throat> Any last thoughts, Jeff? No, that's that's Cause, it. Because I think I think it's such an important part of <laughs> of church leadership, but again. Um, being you've been there that long, everybody knows who you are. 
Troy, may the Lord just guide you and direct you. Stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs I think will be helpful for you. Show them to your church. I think they'll be blessed. Stay online, Troy. We'll get those out to you. If you need us, we're here for you. Call us. Let's go to Thomas, Columbia, South Carolina. Hi, welcome. Hi, pastors. Thank you so much for taking my call today. Um, just a quick question. I, I was watching a sermon from a prominent um, NAR uh, preacher, um, right. and using my discernment, I was uh, listening to what he said, and he made a comment that Jesus, when on earth, surrendered all of his divinity and did no miracles, no uh, turning water to wine, no healings, no deliverance from demons. He relied solely on the Father through the Holy Spirit. And I need to know how to, I guess, determine or how to decipher that to my wife who has gotten involved with this movement. Well, it's whacked. Very clearly, Jesus um, did those things. um, And uh, again, whether it was um, the the demons, remember when he went across the Sea of Galilee and... um, uh, we remember um, uh, Jesus cast the demons out. I, I don't know how anybody could say that Jesus did not have that supernatural authority to walk on water, to multiply the loaves and fishes, to heal people, to cast out demons. You know, Jeff, this is some kind of kooky doctrine. Well, it's NAR. That's New Apostolic Reformation. Yeah. And they're teaching. It, and I... And I you know, I can tell you who you were listening to, Thomas. I would know who it is. <laughs> I guarantee you I know who it was. Um, <clears throat> let's just say he's a pastor over not, not only a church, but a very large school. Is that right? Yes, BSSM. You got it. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So where they get this is uh, Philippians 2 6, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. There you go. Now, they take that part of the verse, verse 6 and 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. They teach that he laid his divinity aside and came to earth only and solely as a man. And all the miracles that he did, he did them as a man operating in faith, just like we would so that we can learn from him. And this person teaches that it encourages them because when they see the model of Jesus doing things by faith as a man, it encourages them to do the same thing, right? That's what they teach. And so the whole thing hangs on verse 7. And here's the teaching. Here's what Paul is saying. And here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that Jesus laid aside his, his divinity. He's saying he laid aside his privileges as divine God. He laid the privileges aside, but not his divinity. He did not leave. There was never a microsecond while he was on earth that he was not divine, uh, th- that he was both all man, all God, and all God and all man. It's that very... uh fancy word called the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union is understanding that when Jesus came to earth, he he came as God, but his godhood, his godness, as he was growing up, was in check. It was there, but it was in check. 
it was it was concealed as he grew up. Worked with Joseph in the carpentry shop and was just a regular, not a regular, but a, a young boy growing up there in, in Bethlehem. So, um, but but he didn't he was not without the deity. He was not without that divinity. He was it was in check. Now, when he came out of the wilderness after defeating the devil, then the divinity came forth. And uh, that's how he healed. That's how he cast out the devils. That's why it says the devils knew who he was. We know who you are, uh, that you are the very son of God. They knew. The devils knew what this teacher says wasn't true. The devils knew he was divine when he was on earth. Because remember, they said, you are uh, the son of God. You are very God in flesh. So, uh, this whole notion that Jesus laid aside his divinity and did everything that he did as just a normal man like us is, is a, it's selling Jesus short. It's diminishing who he was. And that's why that teaching, in my estimation, is heretical. It's a heretical teaching because you're, 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 um, minimizing Christ. You are taking something away from Christ that's not true. And you can read any commentary. You can go to the commentaries, the good ones, uh, and, and they'll all tell you this. The, the very, the Greek language, if you want to do a word study, it'll reinforce this. He did not give up his divinity. He kept his privileges in check until his time came to step into the limelight and do all of his ministry as the son of God and then die on the cross. So, uh, and, and you're, you're right to be concerned for your wife. And I, I don't know your wife, but she's getting involved in something. If she would really study many of the things that have happened at that school, uh, many of the false teachings that are in that school, uh, the, really she needs to take a hard look at it. It's not a place she wants to be listening to that. Now that's my humble opinion. That's my advice, and I think that you as the head of the home are right to be concerned about this. Yeah, and and a good place to go is just read Matthew chapter 1. And he shall be called Emmanuel. And then in your Bible, it has these exact words. He shall be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Not human with us, with some God uh, attributes. God with us. And again, as I've told everybody, the cults always have two things in common. One, Jesus Christ is not God. Number two, there is no eternal hell. Those are your eye marks of bad doctrine, that of a cult. Because first of all, it's by divine revelation we know who Jesus Christ is. When they were walking along, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Some says, well, you're Jeremiah. Some says you're Isaiah, one of the prophets of old. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said this, thou art the Christ, the only Son of God. And Jesus said to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. These people are in darkness. They don't even know who they claim to serve. They don't even know who died on the cross for them to say that Jesus was just a man. 
the Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is Michael the Archangel, the Mormons. Well, Jesus is the half-brother of Lucifer. Well, so much for God's only begotten son, isn't it? If you get into Middle Eastern religions, I'm Jesus, you're Jesus, we're all Jesuses in our own way. You see, this is the problem that we run into. They all goof up the deity. They are walking in the spirit of error. And as long as they're in error, not knowing who Jesus Christ is, again, you cannot say Jesus is Lord. That means kurios, which means he is supreme without the inspiration and without the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. We'll pray for your wife there, Thomas. Yes, Thomas. So let's pray right now. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. You'd give Thomas wisdom to speak to his wife, to help her understand who you are, Father, that you would reveal Jesus' deity to her here on this earth. And that, Father, that you would help her understand your greatness. Give Thomas the right words. Give him encouragement. Help him not be uh, downcast or 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 um, despondent. But Lord, you work miracles. May you work one here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thomas Stanley will send you out um, what we send everybody. I think you'll enjoy that, okay? Thank you both. God bless you, you, Thomas. If you need us, we're here for you. Let's go to Keith. Peace in Arizona. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hello. How may we help? Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can, Keith. We've only got about a minute. How can we help? Okay. I listened to a program from Israel called The Prophetic Connection from John Tweedy, and they claim that the Jews must ask Jesus to come back before he'll come back. And then you listen to other pastors, good pastors, say there's nothing has to happen before the rapture of the church. So uh, I'll leave that at that, and maybe you can explain it to me. Well, Jesus said, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come unless the Jews are asking Jesus to return. It doesn't say that. It says, watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, exactly. That's that's nowhere in the Bible. So if it's not in the Bible, then it's not true. Uh, It's it's just not there. So the Jews right now, uh, Israel by and large is completely away from Christ and uh, has rejected Christ, and they're living as a very secular nation right now. So, no, Jesus himself said, uh, only the Father knows the time, and when the time that the Father knows of arrives, then he will turn to his son and say, go get your bride, and Jesus will return. But I see no necessary trigger for that rapture of the church uh, to be pulled before he comes. So I don't know where they got that, but they didn't get no, it from I don't the Bible. Either. I don't either, Keith. I, 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 they just make stuff up. Stay in line. We'll send you out books and DVDs. Shannon, uh, Alexa, Debbie, the rest, please call us back. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. No waiting. And uh, thanks, Jeff, so much for being on today. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Look forward to being back with you. So until then, keep looking up. Our redemption draws nigh. God bless you. Good night. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226.
Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 